Hey everybody, welcome to Plague Podcast Week Three. Um, hopefully everyone's doing okay. It's it's um, shit's getting pretty real out there. Um, hopefully you're able to stick with it. Uh, let me know if there's um, if you're having trouble keeping up um, with anything, etc. Um, things are pretty. Things are pretty weird right now. Um, there's going to be a lot of exceptions that are going to have to be made. Um, let me know. And with that, um, let's start with it. We're going to be looking at the 1990s today. Um, yay. Okay, so, um, yeah. The 19 start, 1990s start off with the fall of the Soviet Union. We won the freaking Cold War. Um, if you had gone back to 1982 and been like, hey, in 10 years, it'll be over. The Soviet Union will, will collapse and everything will be cool. Um, people would have thought you were insane. 1992, that thing is still going, or 1982, that thing is still going full bore. Um, they're still having, like, popping up um, on the nightly news, like the number of, of tanks, the Russian tanks um, stationed on the East German border. And then they'd have on the other side of this big giant map. You know, the number of American tanks that are stationed on the West German side. Um, when we get to the... And part of it is we... Um, there's a, a... Up until Reagan, um, both the Soviets and the Americans throughout the late 60s and throughout the 70s um, had been pushing more and more for um, cuts in military spending. Uh, it, was just, it was driving everybody broke. Um, in the 1980s, Reagan wants to just spend, spend, spend. And this is where a lot of our modern day deficit um, does. I mean, a lot of it's left over from the 2000s, the 2008 crash and the um, Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Um, but a lot of it goes back to the 1980s. Reagan spends a shit ton of money on the military. Um, and one of the, the Soviet Union spends to, to make it up, um, to make sure that they, they keep up. Um, and they, um, yeah, they go broke. Um, they don't really have the banking system we do. They don't really have the, the resources. Um, so they're going broke for military spending. Um, in the early 1980s, um, you do have, you know, Brezhnev, Andropov, and I forget the other one. Um, but the different, um, you know, chairs of the Soviet um, the Communist Party are, are pretty, um, they're pretty eager to go to toe-to-toe with Reagan. Um, when you get to Gorbachev, when he comes in, Gorbachev basically comes in under the, you know, it's the Communist Party, so it's not like everybody votes for Gorbachev, but within the, the inner circles of the Communist Party, he was, he was one of the reformers, he was one of the ones who was really pushing for like, you know, this is, we don't need this, this kind of like heavy authoritarian state. Um, he pushes for um, Glasnost and Perestroika. One Glasnost was a reaching out to the to the Americans, a reaching out to um, the capitalist world um, to ease tensions. And Perestroika was um, opening up Soviet society, allowing for a little bit, just, just a little bit of freedom of the press, freedom of expression, a little bit of market capitalism. Um, and basically the Russian, like the Russian people, and then all the peoples that are being sort of controlled by the Russians, right? So the East Germans. Um, the Poles, all these people who had essentially been colonized by the Russians, um, 
they're all getting a little bit of a little bit of a taste of of what it'd be like not to be under the USSR, um, and they all want that. Um, there's huge democracy movements. There's capitalist movements too. I mean, pe- a lot of people are just like, you know, fuck it, I just want blue jeans. Um, so we do help. Um, we help the USSR go broke. Um, Gorbachev and Reagan reach out to each other. And Reagan goes from hardliner to, to sort of welcoming Gorbachev. This is where you get the stuff with like where Bernie Sanders goes to the Soviet Union. Um, that goes back to this era where we're, we're doing all these things where like they're opening up sister cities where they're like creating relationships between American cities and Russian cities and everyone's, everyone's kind of embracing each other. Um, and then while that's happening in the Soviet Union, people are saying they want more, they want more, they want more, they want more. Um, and then first, the Eastern Bloc collapses. These are all the Soviet um, client states. You know, East Germany collapses. Um, Poland, the, the Polish Communist Party collapses. Um, and Hungary, a couple other places, they get a hold of their dictators and string them up. Um, and then eventually the Soviet Union itself collapses. Um, and once that happens, we win. We won the Cold War. We went from the 70s where we lost Vietnam the 80s where we don't know what the hell is going on and then it's the 1990s and uh dude we won we won the big like this is since you know vietnam we lost this is a relatively little war korean war we got a stall but this was the big one this was the point of all of those wars we won the cold war And we could, you know, people could argue about what does it mean to win the Cold War? Is it the U.S. wins because the Soviet Union is no longer there? Is it a big geopolitical win? I mean, it just means that there's an empty space. Eventually China rises in um, to fill that space. Um, Is it a win for capitalism? Kind of. Um, Is it a win for um, democracy? Mm, Not really. Really, for a while in the 1990s, it seems like it. I mean, every, all these old communist countries are collapsing. Our dictator client states, who are on our side but run by dictators, they start collapsing and they're like democracies replace them. Um, now, 30 years down the road, it's like, okay, a lot of those democracies are not really doing too well um, or no longer democracies at all. But at the moment, for the for purposes of this class and the purposes of the 1990s, none of that matters. The thing that matters is we won. Like, hey, we don't have to worry about Vietnam anymore. We don't have to worry about all those things. We won the freaking Cold War. And then the first thing we're going to do right after that is we're going to win Iraq, um, the first Iraq war, um, the one where we didn't occupy Iraq. We just blew shit up, forced Iraq to leave Kuwait. Iraq evades Kuwait. We blow up the Iraqi army. We win. America feels confident again. Um, the economy is doing okay. It's going to boom in the mid nineties. Um, a big part of the reason it's going to boom is technology. There's a whole new industry, um, setting up the stock market's going to go crazy. Everyone's going to be buying internet stocks. We'll pay, people will pay for just ridiculous stuff. Anything that you have com at the end of it, people will buy the stocks. Um, and yeah, in the 1990s, it just feels like we can breathe. We can imagine a new future. We don't have to worry about waking up and just every day, we don't have to worry about maybe the Americans or maybe the Russians will get a stick up their butt and the entire world will turn to glass. You know, that's, that's a reality in the 1980s. That's not a reality now. We can, 
1990s, we didn't have to worry about it. That was not as big an issue. That was, I mean, either side could still do it, but we weren't in the middle of a Cold War. Um, we weren't worried about it. Um, and just the fact that, like, someone could run for office by this Bill Clinton running for office, playing the saxophone on their senior hall show. Um, it was just an entirely new era where things were, to be honest, people, things were just a lot more chill um, after the 70s and the 80s, 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And now the 90s were, yeah, they're relatively chill. So what does this mean for 90s pop culture, 90s mass culture? Um, it's going to be a weird... Like, the 90s are this weird mix of sentimentality and cynicism. Like, we get to relax, we get to enjoy ourselves. But there's also this deep sense of, like, how, how we don't believe any of this. Like, we don't believe that we get to relax. We don't believe, like... We now know the Cold War was bullshit. Everything is bullshit. We understand that in the 1990s. Um, and we get to luxuriate in that cynicism because we don't have to worry about the bombs anymore. Like, if, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but there's just this sense of like, it's, like, we can call everything bullshit in the 90s and it doesn't matter because we don't have to believe in that stuff anymore. We don't have to worry as much um and because we're not worried as much it's easier to call out bullshit um but it's also this very sentimental era there's a lot of there's a lot of effort to like um i don't know when we watch a lot of the 90s stuff it's just so sappy and it's the same sort of thing we, we can just luxuriate in that overly sentimental stuff um, the two sort of feed off of and play off of each other, the overly sentimental and the overly cynical, um, to create this sort of, I don't know, it, in the moment it seems like a very sort of fractured culture of sentiment and cynicism, um, but they're really both playing off of it, just the fact that we, we can afford to do that in the 1990s. Um, because we're not that worried about a lot of things. Um, there's also a lot of novelty. We wanted cooler stuff in the 1990s. Um, it's it's kind of like the 70s in that way, but we weren't but a happy 70s. Um, there is a desire for novelty. There is a lot of availability of technology that's getting us novelty. A lot of, you know, a, a freed from the Cold War. Our minds are more open in the 1990s. We end up with kids' cartoons like Animaniacs, which will at certain times hit these incredibly sappy sentimental notes. Um, but at the same time, it's just this incredibly cynical, funny, goofy cartoon. Um, if you have not watched Animaniacs, go back and watch it. Like some of the stuff still holds up. Um, and it's a cartoon from 20 something years ago. Um, and it's not just like the silly slapstick stuff. Like there's, some of the some of the humor is actually like no the humor stands up um it's good stuff okay so one of the things when we take a look go and click on this link um if you take a look at the, the films that are the top 10 so we have number one titanic number two star wars episode um, episode one which is actually episode four the fourth one um the lion king Jurassic Park, Forrest Gump, Independence Day, Sixth Sense, Home Alone, Men in Black, and Toy Story 2. Now, of these, there are 
only two sequels, which is unusual compared to the 1980s, and it'll be very unusual compared to the 2000s. Um, let's see. There will be one, two, three, um, four, four of these will inspire sequels. Um, but they're, that, again, like the originality, um, like even the Lion King compared to a lot of Disney stuff that came before that, like the Lion King was, was groundbreaking, um, a lot of it's going to be based on previously written works like Forrest Gump will be based on a popular book. Jurassic Park will be based on a popular book. But the technology we have at that point allows us to do Jurassic Park. If you tried to do Jurassic Park in the 1980s with all those dinosaurs, it would look like garbage. Um, it, it looked good in the 1990s. Same thing with Independence Day. I mean, some of the explosions in that movie, you look back at it now, it's just like, oh, it's, it's okay. In the 1990s, when Independence Day came out, it, everything looked so real. But there's also, I mean, there's some originality in here. Like, The Sixth Sense, M. Night Shyamalan, um, when actually constrained by the people around him instead of allowed to go full batshit M. Night Shyamalan, um, The Sixth Sense is a really good movie. Um, and, like, Men in Black. Like, Men in Black was, it was this crazy like slick alien movie like a slick fun action alien movie um a lot of the stuff and even even toy story like this is toy story 2 toy story 1 comes out a few years before this um but like dude pixar puts so much um like thought into their characters a, a movie featuring a bunch of toys um, has incredible amount of thinking going into like the relationships between them, etc. Like it's a, it's actually a really good movie, um, and that's that's the nice. The other thing we're talking about, so it's the the novelty. Like there's there's good stuff coming out in the '90s. Um, the other thing though is that sentimentality. Titanic. Oh my God! Look, Titanic is a ridiculous movie. Titanic's entire purpose is to make people cry. Um, James Cameron spent so much money on that movie and it is just, you go back and watch it with a slightly cynical eye and it is just every single note that he can hit to make people cry. He will. Um, there's like, there's the, the mother and her kids like hugging as the water comes up. There's an old couple that just lies down in the bed and they're going to die together. The whole movie is just, it's just syrup. It is just sentimentality syrup. And you know, it's it's ridiculous. The entire movie is ridiculous. And then to top it off, just Celine Dion hitting those high notes over and over and over again. It is just so sappy and sentimental. Um, but at the same time, and like, you also have this incredibly cynical sense. Like, when you, when you go to something like, um, kind of like Men in Black, like, it has a lot of that cynicism in it. Um, where everything is, everything is a lie. Everything around you is a lie. Um, and they play it. It's fun. It's a comedy, but it's kind of there. Um, and then something like, um, God, even episode one, um, there's a certain amount of that in there. Um, there's a lot more politics in episode one than there really needs to be in a Star Wars movie. Um, okay. So that's, that's the top 10. Thank <laughs> you.
Okay, so let's get a little bit more into this sentiment and cynicism. Um, what I want you to do is go through you um, and watch these three clips. Um, and I'll be here um, when you start this again. Go now. Go watch. Go. Go watch. Okay. I assume you're back. Um, so, yeah, the first one, Titanic. Oh, my God. I mean, we already talked about it, but it is just so, like, it's so overborn or overboard. <laughs> Titanic. It's, it's all overboard. Um, but it's just, it's just raw sentimentality. It's just, it's an old lady and she's remembering her love and Jack gives up his space on the board for her and she dies. She could have moved. People have done the math. They've done the geometry. She could have moved. They could have both lived. But it's that, that would, the point is that Jack dies and then she throws away the diamond at the end. I hate that movie. I may have cried at it when I watched it in, in, uh, in college. But now that I have time to think about it, I hate that movie. Um, you, Boys in the Hood. Um, so Boys in the Hood is like, this is one, like, go back and watch Boys in the Hood. It is, it's a, actually a good movie. But Cuba, like Cuba Gooding Jr.'s, um, that scene, that is how he is, like, the entire movie is that level of just, like, emotion. Um there was no pulling back in that movie. Everything is just at that, like, turn everything up to 11. Um, and it's, you know, it, it is, it's kind of weird. I mean, Boys in the Hood is a good one because it has that level of sentiment. It's a very sentimental movie. Um, and it's about, like, but it's, it's, it's about their relationships. It's about, like, brothers. It's about, um, like, their fam like, a family being torn apart, neighborhoods being torn apart, etc., um, it's about that feeling of hopelessness that Cuba has in that scene. Um, but at the same time, it's the movie itself is incredibly cynical about, um, about the state of policing in the United States. It's very cynical about, um, you know, what it's like to be a young black man in L.A. at that time. Um, that even if you do have the opportunity to, to get out, sometimes you're not allowed that opportunity. Um, it's incredibly cynical about that. I mean, almost about the idea of hope. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's very, and the, the fashion, the fashion is very eighties. Um, and then clerks, which is, you know, clerks opposite of both. Like it's the far end from either of these movies. It is a small run independent movie. Um, dude made it with a bunch of, a bunch of people from the local like community theater group. Um, in this in this image right here, um, the guy on the right, it's Randall and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. But the guy on the right, he couldn't remember any of his lines. So in every scene, he's looking off screen or he's reading something because they had to put his lines in, like hide them in a magazine or put his lines off screen. They they did the entire movie for like eight grand. Um, and then it and it took off, and the entire movie is just the movie is just one long, cynical like. You know everything is bullshit. I don't like I. Let's talk about something, but you know what? I don't actually care about this because everything is bullshit. It's just these two guys. One's a video store clerk, and one is a, a convenience store clerk, and the whole movie is just like 
I don't care about anything. I realize everything is bullshit. And because I realize it's bullshit, all I have to do is make it through the day. Um, and then he uh, almost doesn't make it through the day. Um, in the first version of it, he gets shot. Um, Randall gets shot. Um, but then the second, and then they, they edited it so that he doesn't get shot at the end of the movie. Um, yeah, that's gonna, and that's gonna launch, you know, a whole wave of movies just trying to capture that, that kind of cynicism coming off of, of things like Clerks. Um, uh, a lot of the Quentin Tarantino stuff, a lot of that same cynicism is there. Um, but that's, that's the 90s. Incredibly sentimental, incredibly sappy, um, or incredibly cynical. We do have to talk about action from the 1980s. Um, or sorry, the 1990s. This is when CGI happens. Um, there's touches of it. You know, there's always editing tricks, etc. But this is where they're actually like, hey, we can, do, we can do these things on the computer that will not, like, we will mix them in with practical effects. We will mix them in with camera stuff. Um, but we will be able to do cooler, more awesome stuff. Um, the, the bullet timing in Matrix, um, the entire fight scene that's here, um, there's going to be this mix of, there's going to be an embrace, um, and this is really a brace in the 1980s, or sorry, 1990s, in Hollywood of um, like Chinese and Japanese action. Um, so you'll see, like, this is one of the first movies, like, first big American action movies that's going to be pulling really heavily from the stuff that's going on um, in, like, Hong Kong, um, those, kind of, those kind of action flicks, um, combined in with this, the CGI stuff. And then the movie itself, like, when you look at the movie itself, it's still, like, there's, it's, like, there are incredibly sappy moments. Neo is is Neo is Jesus essentially. Like he is set up as a sort of Jesus figure to save everybody from the technology that we've created. Um, it's going to be like very yeah. The the action in the nineteen nineties is going to be novel. You can't do the same action movies over and over again in the nineteen nineties. Um, people want new stuff. The next Matrix movie is going to have to be bigger and crazier. The next one's going to have to be bigger and crazier than that. Um, yeah, and that's about it. If you haven't watched The Matrix, um, the other thing is like the, the, it's an action movie, but it's based on the idea. I mean, the idea is that we're living in a, we're living in a computer program. Um, you know, so it's, it's really pulling from the era as well in terms of the plot where we're living in a computer program, a simulation being run by, by computer programs, by, by robots, um, who are doing that in order to like, maintain us in stasis because they're gathering energy off of our bodies and that's what's running them. Um, and it, it gets into these sort of philosophical issues about like what is, what is reality, um, how do you know you're existing within reality? All these kind of things um, that normally would not be seen in an action movie. You're not going to have that and then like dodging bullets. Um, but in this case, we will have that. And it's, and it's super fun to watch. And I think supposedly they're making another one. There might be another one coming out soon. Oh, and the music of the 90s. Okay, 
um, you can either listen to this stuff first or go and listen to them at the end. Um, but each of these is hitting a lot of the same sort of the same sort of stuff the films are uh, Nirvana and a lot of the grunge stuff in general is just really really luxuriating in that that sense of cynicism and like it's pulling off of the the punk scenes sense that everything is garbage and rubbish but at the same time you know what playing your instruments really fast and like the problem with punk is they're trying too hard um the 1990s and that grunge scene a lot of it was just like we're going to minimize effort um because we understand that everything is bullshit and so we're not going to we're not going to try too hard um we're just going to expose the bullshit um and nirvana's look that nirvana album when that came out that was huge um and there's this whole sort of grunge scene that comes um along um with them they're one of the bands that helps popularize that but that whole sort of seattle um seattle scene kind of pops up um in the 1990s and really takes off um but you also have like tupac and you know people kind of have this memory of tupac is like like based on like almost like the the album cover where it's just like oh like tupac and he's so hard um, but then you listen to Tupac's music and a lot of Tupac's music is incredibly sentimental. Like that song, it's, it's a song about his mom. There's a cynicism to it because he's like acknowledging how fucked up his, his childhood was. Right. But at the same time, like the song itself is this, it's a, it's a love song to his mother, um, that acknowledges her, her failures as a parent, but acknowledges the love she had as a parent. Like, there's it is people think Tupac and they're like gangster rap or something but like Tupac also like he hit a lot of these really emotional emotional notes in his song like there's a lot of that emotion in there um and then Whitney Houston of course is just like you know Whitney Houston and then you know Canadian Whitney Houston with Celine Dion but it's just like high notes and high emotion it's just it's all love songs and we're just gonna hit the high notes and drag them out for six minutes um we're just gonna try and stir as much within you as possible um yeah that's that's all i got for whitney houston um and then you you have this like arrested development you have this sort of um this other sort of movement within hip-hop where it's it's a little it's like more mellow and it's more um it's what now people would refer to as woke, um, but it's just kind of like a little bit more political. Um, and like Mr. Wendell, like it's a, it's a song about a homeless guy and how that homeless man has worth to society just like everybody else. And that's like, there's that sentimentality there. There is a touch of the cynicism element of, but it's, it's a cynicism to, it's a cynicism about society and how society discards other human beings. Um, and so that, that song is actually like, it, ha- it combines the two. It's this, this sentiment, like, it is a sappy sentimental thing about like, about how like Mr. Wendell, like embracing Mr. Wendell as a human being who has value. Um, but it's also this cynical thing about like, and this is like our society 
throws humans away. Um, I should add that it starting off, it may sound like I'm kind of bagging on the 90s for the sentiment and the cynicism, but it's, it's what makes the 90s work is it's combined it's these two things combined um and it's just that there's it's just the 90s yeah i'm not really sure what i'm trying to say here it may be just because that's that's the era that i kind of like my cultural consciousness was formed in the 1990s um but there is yeah there's a lot to be said for for that 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 heavily sentimental 1990s um, but there's a lot to be said too for this sort of just sense of like 1990s generation x understanding of this is all bullshit and i do not want any of it and television television is going to be doing the same exact thing seinfeld is is probably one of the best in terms of this this kind of cynical 1990s-ness this television, uh, Seinfeld was the the most popular show of the era, um, and it was literally pitched as a show about nothing. It's a show about a bunch of people, every episode, eh, they talk about some stuff, they complain about some things. What's the driving force behind this show? Nothing. It's just about people going through, and they're not really, like, one of the kind of jokes about the show is that they're not good people. Like Jerry Seinfeld is kind of kind of a dick. Um, Kramer, his neighbor, is completely oblivious to anyone else and is often just awful to everybody. George, like George is there's definitely moments in here where you're like, wow, George is a douche. Um and Elaine, it's the same thing. Elaine Elaine is the female um Saint Jerry. She's also a bit of a dick. Um and and the show was great of that moment and you watch it now and it's just like oh wow these, there, there's nothing going on here it's just about how like they're not awful people but it's just everyone them and all their friends basically everybody in new york at that moment is just not really that concerned about everyone else around them they're mostly just in it for them um, and that show took off. It was huge. Everybody loved it. Um, well, not everybody, but enough people loved it for it to, for them to be making a million dollars each per episode by the end of the 1990s, which was a lot of money then. Um, that is still very much a lot of money. Um, kids and teen shows, there was always the very special episodes. Um, when we get to the Hawaii, uh, later on, we're going to have a, a class on Hawaii um, and Hollywood, one, one lecture on that. Um, and we're going to beg on, um, on, uh, Saved by the Bell. Um, and this is one of the reasons is it's Saved by the Bell is proof that Hollywood has no regard for the intelligence of, of teenagers, um, because they produce a show for so long and teenagers in America have no, um, regard for their own intelligence because they watched the show for so long. So go and watch that clip and then come back. Okay, what the hell was that? She was on caffeine pills. But it's this, that's the, that's the level. So there's either the cynicism 
of Seinfeld, or there's this just ridiculous amount of sentimentality that goes into very special episodes. Blossom had like a very special episode every other week where it was just like, Blossom loses her virginity. Blossom loses her car keys. Like it's everything was just like, dun, 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 big, very special episodes. And again, she was on caffeine pills. It was the equivalent of drinking like 20 cups of coffee a day. Not good for you, but it's not going to do whatever the hell that was. Um, for more of the cynicism, though, um, go to the Beavis and Butthead. Watch, watch this short Beavis and Butthead. Be right back. Okay, that was Beavis and Butthead. Um, Beavis and Butthead was great. It started off, it was just shorts during, I think it was during the Tracy Allman show. It wasn't Tracy No, no, it was shorts during the um, Liquid Television on MTV. And it was just, it was just random. They had watched videos and it was just these two, these two teenagers from suburban Texas that were, they thought they were so cool. They just thought they were so cool. Um, but the joke was, of course, is that they're frigging idiots. Um, and they'd sit there and they'd just mock everything. They'd mock the TV shows, they mock people around them, they mock class around them. And it was, it was great. It was hilarious. It was, it was wonderful. Um, they would watch, it started off with just them watching music videos and then making fun of music videos. And eventually started having like scenes around it. Um, and then the last one is Daria. And this is, look, I, special place in my heart for Daria. Um, Daria was the like smarter teenager version of Beavis and Butthead, um, where like she also realized everything was bullshit, but she realized everything was bullshit and made fun of it in kind of a smart, snarky way, um, instead of just being like, <laughs> you said boobs, <laughs> like that was Beavis and Butthead. Daria was just this like snarky, this is all rubbish. I understand that, and I understand I just need to get through it. Um, now that I'm a little bit older and I'm watching, I'm like, oh, well, you know, her parents were trying. I get it. Um, but so that's 80s, or sorry, 90s TV. Um, you don't have to watch the whole Daria episode, but if you want to, I understand a lot of you don't have much else going on the, the next couple of weeks. Um, might as well watch it. If, uh, unless you got to go to work. If you do have to go to work, one, that sucks. Um, two, you probably got less time and more stress than the rest of us. And then, yeah, one of the other things about the 1990s is you, kind of bringing it all together, raves. Um, you have this weird, you have 19 year, you know, raves, you have the sentimentality and nostalgia is there very much. You have a bunch of 19 year olds sucking on pacifiers, wearing Thundercat shirts, talking about their childhood to a stranger who they now feel is their bestest friend ever. I don't know why I spelled that best friend ever, um, but it's very 90s. Um, it was like the drug of choice was MDMA, which is essentially now a therapy drug because people take it and they feel incredibly trusting. And then they talk about their deepest, their deepest traumas and shit like that. Um, and you know, I don't know how many times at a rave I ended up sitting there talking to somebody and basically like hearing about their messed up childhood um, it was incredibly 
sentimental and nostalgic. Um, then two weeks later, everybody, you know, took too much MDMA and their serotonin receptors are burnt out and they're all jaded. Um, and incredibly cynical of the entire scene and just show up and sit on the side and, and complain about how the music was so much better when they started going to raves, which was literally a month before. Um, so that's, that's tying everything up for the, the general 90s stuff. Um, if you want to go take a break or something, it's a podcast, so you could go and take a break whenever you want. You're the master of your own, or mistress of your own educational experience. Um, but the next section is going to be on the internet. Okay, so the internet. Um, early internet, you're going to start off as mostly communication. It starts off as Department of Defense and um, uh, some of the colleges putting together a system where information could be transmitted in packets um, that could be rerouted and reshaped and then put back together. Um, and it was essentially from the, for the universities, it was like, well, how can we share information and data cheaply um, and quickly? Um, for research purposes, um, and for the Department of Defense, it was, well, what happens if, if communications get smashed up through, you know, either sabotage, etc.? Um, how could we transmit inf information through a broken, broken up sporadic network? Um, and we end up with the internet. And the early stuff, and that's the 1980s, um, and by the late, late 1980s, you start seeing it... Um, emerging more and more and it's going to be more for there's like bulletin boards some use net basically email and bulletin boards is mostly what the public is able to access um you don't have the web right so you, you're still you're just connecting computer to computer um or compute connecting to a, a network um and sharing it's it's all text at that point um there's some some use of um, a commercial commercial uses um, in terms of like you know when you go to when you go to Napa and they they're able to check if the other stores have the part that you don't have like that kind of thing um, but it's it's not really until you get to the later parts well, not later mid 1990s. Um, where you really start seeing it go from a novelty to like by 1995, 1996, you know, you can go online and, you know, it's, it's not the internet where you have now and you're able to find everything. 95, 96, you can go to a bulletin board service and you can essentially start finding your own subcultures. You are into Star Wars fanfic. Um, well, then you go to, you go to slash Star Wars fanfic, fanfic on Pine or something. Um, you're, whatever you're into, like you, that's where you go to. Um, I s remember going and finding, um, yeah, like rugby stats and stuff in, in the nineties, um, like early 95, um, by the time you get to, yeah, like eventually you get to the point where, um, by the, eh, by the mid nineties, you're sharing files more and more. Um, and these are again, like they're, they're not on the World Wide Web, right? We don't have the web yet, um, but you're able to share through stuff like Napster, um, like peer-to-peer -peer sharing, which of course none of you do, uh, of course no longer exists, and people don't use it to, to go and find movies, etc. cetera. Um, but um, that pops up, and then you start seeing um, things pop up that were developed for the internet, 
um, that are shared on the internet and are really like early internet culture. One of the first ones is going to be um, this video. And this is the first, this is the first version of South Park using the characters as we know them now. Um, the history of it is basically they, they made something, it was kind of a funny, they made a, um, the characters are a little bit different, but it was um, Santa versus, um, like Santa and Jesus get in a fight. And then that video gets around, um, they made it in, in or right after film school. Um, and, uh, George Clooney gets a hold of it at some point, And then he, he gets them to make this video, this version of it. Um, he pays them some money to do that. Um, and this is where South Park comes from. It's going to come from this video that, that gets around on the internet and is just shared all over. And people are just like, Oh my God, have you seen this thing? Um, and it's, it's, it's mind blowing. And then Comedy Central picks it up. And this is also where CGI comes in because they're like, well, if we're going to make this every week, we can't be doing cutouts every week. We're going to CGI. Um, we're going to have this incredibly basic looking animation, but we're going to do it on the most complex computers that we have at the moment. And you end up with South Park being able to knock stuff out every single week. Um, so go and watch the video. Um, and it, yeah, it features the, possibly the best um, best song of the 1990s, which is What Would Brian Boitano Do? He were here right now. So 1993, that's when web, web browsers pop up. And initially, they are garbage. They're absolute garbage. Um, everything is super slow. They, you try and download a picture or something like that, and it takes hours. Line by line, you can see this you know, incredibly pixelated image pop up. But we had never seen anything like that. All of a sudden, like, you could send a picture to somebody. Um, like, that's crazy time. Um, and the first, you have the first browser war. You have Internet Explorer um, versus Netscape. Netscape had been the big one. Internet Explorer comes in and essentially kills it um, by Bill Gates manipulating the market, essentially, um, by making sure all his computers, all the computers that come with his operating system had Internet Explorer. Um, yes, Netscape was the better one. Explorer was the easier one to get to. Um, and a lot of the early internet, like you are going to end up with some, some businesses. Amazon.com, which think about how stupid this sounds. In America, a country where we don't read, and it's not new, we didn't read in the 1990s either. Um, trying to create an online bookstore, that'll never work. It ends up working. They don't make any money until they stop just selling books and start selling everything. Um, but yeah, like we have web browsers now. We can we can just go online. They're pretty easy. How do you how do you work this thing? If it's blue, you click it. Anyone can figure it out. Um, and um, it was you know it's it's easier it's easier now to build a, a website um but because the websites were so basic it wasn't that hard then either it's almost all text-based maybe you would have an image on there so you end up with a lot of fan sites now instead of having to go to a bulletin board to share your you know buffy the vampire slayer fanfic now you're able to do it online on a web browser it looks a little cooler um often it doesn't look that much cooler you end up with some of the early shock sites 
um, the one of the yeah really quickly because it's it was unregulated um, and because it was you know even if your your thing gets taken down you just pop up another one um, one of the things people realize is all the awful horrible parts of of the world that like people wanted to see but you are not going to see in movies um, there's you know this is where we still have this uh, beheading videos and then in the 2000s um like 2010 2011 when isis was that was it late? no 2012 when isis is like beheading people um and they're putting like people are watching the videos online um those kind of shock sites that's imagine or that's coming out a lot earlier so the, was it like rotten.com um a couple of other ones and then there are some of the ones that were just there to like surprise you like goatsy do not google goatsy unless you want to be if you don't google it don't um it is awful um most of the internet actually a big chunk of the internet back then was just people putting awful stuff online and sharing it because they'd never been able to do that before and it's a very low value for anyone um and of course porn um this is this because it's the internet that's one of the first things that's going to go on the web browsers is people will try and figure out how to put porn up there and then make money off of porn. Um, okay. And this is the start of memes. Um, let's see. Yeah, memes, I, they're always of the moment and often do not make sense six months later. Um, this creepy dancing baby, click on the first link and it's, it's literally just a creepy dancing baby. And in the back background, there is that, I can't, I can't sing, um, the uka chaka, uka chaka, that's it. And people were just sharing this back and forth. They were sending emails with this. They're popping, they're like making websites where it was just the dancing baby. It was the stupidest freaking thing. Um, but it was one of the first things that went viral. Uh, right, everybody's sharing it, everyone's sharing it, and then this is something that we see today, like this starts in the 1990s, where something will start on the internet, and it will be from the internet culture, it will be very much of the internet, it only can exist because of the internet, right, and then it starts showing up in traditional media, so this was Ally McBeal, which was one of the big shows, and it was, um, I don't know, it was like a, like a lawyer show, but it was also a comedy about this, about like, it's like to be a single female lawyer and is I don't know, I never really got into it. Um, but it shows up there and it's, it's showing up like the joke at that point is that the internet is now showing up. She sees it on the internet. It goes viral. It's stuck in her head and now it's showing up there, but it's also just showing up in our normal everyday um, mass culture. Um, the internet is now starting to affect mass culture itself. Um, and then you get to the next one, Hamster Dance. That one, like, again, it's one of these things where everyone was sharing Hamster Dance. And that's what they were sharing. And I, eh, I, 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 I didn't get it then. I don't get it now. Um, but this is something that we, we continue to see. Like, memes show up and then they're shared. Um, and they can, like, reshape little elements of pop culture. Um, the Rick rolling people, right? Like that became really funny. And then that shows up, starts showing up in other parts of popular culture. Um, 
and the yeah the nineties brought it that not this is not one of the best things that the nineties brought us but um but it, I get it is important because it affects other things. The other thing about the internet is with the internet you can become an it's 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 just like today the internet allows anyone to become a celebrity all they have to do is is create a page and then convince other people to like their stuff um and it was harder back then you didn't have video really but uh things like live journal geo cities angel fire you could create a space on the internet that was about you you end up with early vlogging etc and it's just or not vlogging blogging um uh it's just you know it's it's mostly garbage it's mostly people just trying to be like hey look at me look at me someone someone please look at me um and i'm not sh- like there's some people that became little mini celebrities um out of this you could find similar minded people you couldn't get your book published you could self-publish stuff on the on the web and try and find a following um uh, some of the early sites like live journal um are essentially social media sites um but you also have geocities and angel fire which were the if you find stuff on an angel fire site run just run all you're gonna find is crazy rantings about the flat earth etc um it was true then it's true now um, so yeah, this, the America celebrates celebrity. Our pop culture is shaped around, or mass culture is shaped around celebrity, uh, the worship of celebrity. So of course, one of the things we will use the internet for is, um, the, the quest to become a celebrity. I don't have any talent. I can't act. I can't sing. Um, I'll never be an accomplished artist of anything, but maybe, maybe if I just put myself online, maybe I can find a niche. Um, and most people never will. Um, but as we can see, um, with internet influencers, etc., some people can. We do start to see better video games, um, during the 1990s. During the 1980s, things are really basic. Like, you know, you'll get Mario. Mario was cool and everything. Um, but really, really basic stuff. By the time you get to the 1990s, um, you do end up with like some PC stuff that's really cool. Um, Mist, which is it's not a very f- it's not a very action oriented game, but it is this immersive world. Um, it's one of the first games where you're really moving around in three dim- or, well in two dimensions and then occasionally going up and down something, um, and you have to kind of unpack this world and you're you're experiencing not just like you're not just learning how to click buttons really fast like you are in Mario you're actually having to learn and understand a new world. It's, it's storytelling through, um, through an incredibly slow game that I was very bad at because I'm not, I don't have the patience for it. Um, but you also have stuff coming out later on in the 1990s, like Final Fantasy VII, which is an immersive, um, uh, immersive RPG uh, action RPG and that was I mean that thing is huge like it's still kind of playable man um you do end up with some of the consoles um the consoles are getting better and better the the first Nintendos and Segas were were pretty basic um eventually Sony gets into it with the PlayStation and that's where you know once you can put games on DVD instead of on cartridges you have so much more memory 
um, and the games are getting better and better and better. Um, yeah, this is the era where video games go from being, eh, it's kind of a cute, yeah, they're, they're there, they're okay, um, to games that you can really get sucked into. Um, early, you know, if you, if you get to the point where you can blow an entire night playing Super Mario Brothers, you have issues. It's really easy by the end of the decade um, to, to blow an entire night, not mean to see Dawn, but see Dawn um, because you've been playing Final Fantasy VII for 12 hours in a row. Um, and you still have another 100 hours of that game to unpack. Um, so you, yeah, the video games, video games are getting good in the 1990s. Uh, as far as the internet and gaming, you do have some games. I mean, StarCraft, um, where you're able to have you know land parties playing StarCraft, playing Quake. Oh man, I haven't thought about Quake in a long time. Um, but you have, you do have game, you know, these games that you can set up a, a local access network um, and play against each other. Um, and that makes those games way more fun. I mean, StarCraft is a super fun game. It's one of these games, like, it is one of these 90s games that you can blow an entire night just playing. Um, and I have totally done that before. Um, but then you add in the element of playing against each other, and it becomes a whole different thing. Um, because then you, you end up playing competitively, and people still play StarCraft competitively. Um, and it starts off over local access networks. But as the internet itself gets better, as you get faster and faster, faster, um, internet service, you can start playing these games against each other online. Um, and that's where you're, you're really starting to see um, this sort of modern gaming world beginning to be shaped um, in the 1990s with these, it starts off with the, the, the LAN systems. And it's later on, you, you can, once you can play on the internet, it becomes fun. Um, then you have really crappy ones. Um, you have early browser games that are just garbage. Um, flash games essentially go if you want to go play this game it's 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 a gross out game it's kind of part of that internet we're gonna just do gross stuff because um because we can because there is no censorship so we'll just do whatever the hell we want um and the point of the game is that it's 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 a gross game it's called frog in a blender you can kind of guess what it is um and it's it definitely does not go to our better instincts as humans. Um, and there's a lot of that kind of stuff, but they're, they're just cheap, crappy Flash games. At that time, it's like, oh, wow, that's really cool that you can just put that on a web browser. You don't even need to download a game. Um, but uh, the browser games, you know, they're not very good in the 1990s. Um, it'll be a lot of remakes of, you'll see remakes popping up in the 1990s of um, 1980s video games that you might have played in a, in a um, arcade, um, like Spy Hunter popping up, but they're they're kind of meh. Um, the really good stuff is is going to be connecting um, connecting games that you're you're downloading that uh, you have the program itself and you're just connecting over the internet, which is I mean it's still still true. And finally, the 1990s are the era where we really see adults embracing comic books. Um, 1980s comic books are mostly for kids. 1990s, you have, and it's, it's part of that sentimentality, that nostalgia sense. Um, 
where grown-ups are really into comic books. Um, and y yes, mostly like the comic book store nerd um, from The Simpsons is an accurate portrayal of many of the comic book people in the 90s, um, myself included. Um, but it's, there is definitely sort of a like embracing of this, this like childish art form, um, but that it could be more. Um, and some of it is like really funny stuff. This is when like, you know, Deadpool comes out. Um, the Tick is like the Tick was super funny. Um, but you also have this this weird kind of like grim dark thing where people are like, well, it's a, it's not for kids because it's super dark. And this is where like Batman goes from being a superhero to a nut job. 1990s bad job or Batman was a complete like he is a psychopath 19 or so psychopath or sociopath either way 1990s batman deserves to be in a he should be in arkham asylum like there's it's completely crazy um and there's um god they just put wolverine everywhere wolverine is on like every single marvel team um and he's just running around everywhere and snickety snickety snick snick um, and it's, it's ridiculous. And Wolverine is, it's, it's just, the character is very nineties. It's just this kind of like, he has a grim, mysterious past and he's very angry about everything. Um, but deep down he's a big softy and he like is always trying to look out for, for everybody. Like it's, oh God, it's so nineties. Um, but the, the, look, the only reason I put this in here really is for this last link, go through um and read through it the one of the like one it's just fun to ro laugh at rob liefeld um because his drawings are are <sighs> click through like i promise it is worth your while go through and look at the drawings but the other thing is that rob liefeld during the 1990s was the comic industry's version of a superhero this guy could not make stuff like it was garbage but he could not make anything without comic book publishers just drawing tens of thousands of dollars at him for it um and he you know he he gets super rich um making crappy comic books and all the things that we mock him for now are the exact same reasons people were buying his stuff in the 1990s um like like seriously look at this cover Wolverine's legs are like his his thighs are the length of his entire torso and his head. Like that's not right. Um just go through and look at those and and it's it's just there to have a nice nice good solid laugh at the end of the week. Um and that's it. We will if you're if you're doing a paper, um Please be working on those papers. If you're turning anything else late, don't worry about late dates for this, for anything else for this term. If it comes in, if it comes in, it, it's on time. Um, if you are doing the source analysis, um, yeah, keep getting stuff in. Um, that's about it. Uh, stay safe, everybody. Uh, Hopefully we'll see each other on the other side of this next term.